So tonight we are in week three of our new series that's entitled The Chase, and we're going through the wisdom book of Ecclesiastes, and and we're looking tonight, as you heard in the passage uh, that Vanessa read, on work and accomplishments. You know, we live in a a work-obsessed culture, right? We have this underlying belief, which is this, if I have a job that I love, and I have dreams and goals that I can fulfill and accomplish professionally, then I will have made it. Then I will achieve everything I desire. I will find what my heart is looking for, satisfaction and meaning and happiness and purpose if I have a job that I love and if I have goals that I can accomplish. And so what happens for us is that we're always focused on achieving, right? Accomplishing, improving, growing, especially in regards to our work. And so we order books all the time on Amazon, right? You're searching different ways to improve your effectiveness at work. You're looking for seminars and workshops, and you're going to conferences. You have podcasts that you listen to as you walk to work to motivate you to do more work. You're watching YouTube videos. Hopefully you can get some some nuggets of wisdom. You go on social media and you know that you're going to be depressed and you're going to be frustrated because you're going to scroll and you're going to see people that have accomplished things that you want to accomplish or that you think that you will one day accomplish or people that are your same age that are ahead of you in in regards to where you want to be in life, but you scroll through because you want to be motivated. You want to be charged to improve and to grow and to reach your dreams. You know, what's funny about that is, is a large amount of us in this room, we believe that one day we are going to achieve everything we set out for. We're going to get what we want out of life. There was a study that came out, uh, and it said that 96% of people between the ages of 18 and 29, 96%, believe that they will get to where they want to be in life. They will accomplish everything that they want. They will, they will fulfill all of their dreams and goals. 96% believe that they will do that. See, we're driven because we, we really do believe that we're going to get to whatever that end point is. And we believe that once we get to that end point, then we're going to recognize that our life was meaningful and it was full of purpose and we'll be satisfied and we can relax for the rest of our days because we lived a good life. And so we scheme and we, we think about how to improve and how to get there. And I think a lot of us believe what Tony Shea, the CEO of Zappos, says, which is this, or Zappos, he says this in his book. He says, envision, create, and believe in your own universe, and then the universe will form around you. So look within, envision, and create, and believe in whatever your own universe is, whatever that thing is that you need to chase after and accomplish in life, and then everyone else and everything else, the universe, will form around you. Well, here's the, here's the problem with that. The problem is we have an excessively large amount of our identity and our hopes wrapped up in our work and our accomplishments, right? Our identity, if we're honest, and our hopes are wrapped up in that universe that we've envisioned and that we're creating and that we believe in. And the reason that that is a problem is because we then begin to justify all these different aspects of our lives because we're, we're we're chasing after these accomplishments that we believe are going to bring purpose and meaning and satisfaction and happiness. And so we kind of fall into this trap of believing, once I accomplish this, 
everything that it took to get there will be justified. Once I reach this place where I have this many zeros in my check, everything that it took to get there will be justified. Once I fulfill my goals and my dreams, especially professionally, whatever it took and whatever sacrifices, whatever things had to happen to get there will be completely justified because this universe that I've envisioned and created and believe in is my whole universe and everything else will need to form around it. But the question is, will that actually happen? Will it happen? And I think in some sense, as I was processing this week, I think we use, all of us here, we use our work as a mask. And we use it to hide things. So we use our work to hide the aspects of our life that we don't want other people to see. Right? So we really work hard and we strive to improve and to grow and to, to reach the next job promotion, to, to climb the corporate ladder and to accomplish these things and to fulfill our goals and dreams professionally because then people will see that and they won't see this other stuff. We don't want them to see. So we, we use work as a mask to hide those things. And we also use work, I think, if we're honest, as a mask to hide the fact that we constantly struggle with this question is it all meaningless? Right? I think that's why I love this book, and maybe you're, you're connecting with it as well, is because the teacher who's the narrator through this, this book, Ecclesiastes, is brutally honest and is capable of doubting his presuppositions. He's skeptical. And so he asks the questions that we ask ourselves, which is like, is this really worth it? All the time and all the energy and all the anxiety and all the stress that I'm pouring into these accomplishments into my profession, is it really worth it? There's a post that I read this past week on the satirical website, The Onion. Have you guys ever checked out that website? For a little bit, when it first came out, I thought it was real. And I was like, what? There's aliens on the moon? You know, but I realized it's not real. If you didn't know, it's a fake website, but it's hilarious and always spot on. And there's a, a title of the post that said this, the man, as a, there's a man putting a huge amount of pressure on self to excel at a completely meaningless activity. And I'm going to read you the short description because it's brilliant. And the activity that the man is putting a large amount of time into is the board game Settlers of Catan. How many of you have played this board game? Put your hands up. Okay, not enough of you, okay? You're like, what is this game? Well, let me tell you real quick so you understand. This is a game about dominating a world. Okay? You ever want to dominate the world? Play this game. You can dominate a map. You compete against other people. You build cities and you build roads and you harvest resources. You're like, this sounds real nerdy. It is, but it's awesome. It, it's like game of the year all the time. It's amazing. Settlers of Catan. So here's what it says, the description. Syracuse, New York, because it's freezing there. What else are you going to do? According to sources, an area man, James Hargraves, 34 years old, is pushing himself far too hard to succeed at a completely trivial and pointless multiplayer board game, The Settlers of Catan. I'm blowing it. Why can't I harvest all these crops right? The intensely focused and competitive man said about the ultimately meaningless thing that has no real bearing on his life whatsoever. I just have to keep building roads. That's the key. I can't get behind. At press time, Hargraves was searching online for strategies to improve his performance at the utter waste of his time and energy. And I think if we're honest, sometimes we look at all the things that we're chasing in our lives, right, in our work, 
Now, if you're spending this much time with sellers of Quinton, we need to have a conversation. That's a little much. I have looked online for a strategy or two, I'll be honest. But we look at our work and we look at what we're chasing and what we're trying to accomplish and our goals, that universe that we've envisioned and we're creating and we believe in. And sometimes when we have a moment of reflection, we ask the question like, am I putting way too much focus and energy into the accomplishment of these professional goals? Is it pointless? Is it meaningless? Is it vanity and a vapor? Am I wasting a lot of time and energy and anxiety and stress that I'm just pouring into this? For what? Is it going to fulfill those desires that I believe it will? And the teacher here in the book of Ecclesiastes is asking that very question. Is chasing accomplishment worth it? Will it provide what you believe it will provide? And here's what he says in verse 18 in chapter 2. It says, I came to hate all my hard work here on earth. Why? For I must leave to others everything I have earned. And so his assessment here at the very beginning is that he's come to hate all of his work. And the reason he's come to hate his work is because he's come to believe that it's meaningless, it's a vapor, it's temporary. You can, you can enjoy it and you can experience the fruits of your, your labor and your work and the accomplishments for a moment, but then they're gone. And the first thing that he says that's really hard for him is that everything he works for is going to be left to somebody else. He's not going to be able to take it with him. You know, nobody at the end of their life says, man, I, I wish I worked more. I wish I accomplished and achieved more things that I could just leave to other people that will take it for granted. That's not the question that you ask at the end of your life. And he's, to, he's thinking about this, and he says this in verses 21 through 23. He says, some people work wisely with knowledge and skill and then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is meaningless, a great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief, and even at night their minds cannot rest. It's all meaningless. The teacher is is skeptical about the value of hard work. The question that the, the teacher here in Ecclesiastes is asking is, is it worth it? I mean, what do you get in the long run? You cannot take it with you. And at some point, everything you've accomplished and everything you've put, all of this time and effort and anxiety and pain and grief and sleepless nights, do you resonate with that? Sleepless nights into your work, into what you can accomplish, you're going to leave it to somebody who doesn't value it like you, who didn't have to work for it, who's going to take it for granted who may squander it foolishly, who may abandon it or destroy it or forsake it or use it for a little bit and then throw it away or treat it like it's not significant. Everything that you work for is going to be handed over to people that had no investment in it whatsoever, and that's really hard for him. It's really hard for him to see that it's worth it, that it's not simply a vapor, that it's not simply just temporary and and to be enjoyed for a moment, but then it's gone because you can't take it with you, and other people will take it for granted. But it's not the only reason why he feels this way. In chapter 4, he says, Then I observe that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this, too, is meaningless, like chasing the wind. The second reason why the teacher believes that chasing accomplishment 
for purpose or for meaning or for happiness or satisfaction is a vapor and it's meaningless is because oftentimes your motivation is envy. And envy doesn't have to be the, the envying of some person, though surely it can, because a lot of times we use the word envy, you think to yourself, well, I, I don't envy anyone. Like, I like who I am, I'm secure in who I am. I don't envy, I like my job, I like my position in life, I don't envy anyone. But envy doesn't have to be in regards to another person, it could be in regards to somebody's accomplishments. And all of us here struggle with envy on that level. You envy someone's job title, someone's position in their business, even if it's not yours. You envy someone's financial freedom. You envy somebody's experiences, the places that they've been able to travel, how many days off they have versus how many days off you have. You envy their family. You envy the things that they've been able to accomplish. We all struggle with envying accomplishments. Here's what I think envy is. Envy is simply making something the direct end of happiness or meaning. It is saying, whether it's a person or an accomplishment or something other people have experienced, whatever it may be for you, it is putting it out there and saying, if I had that, if I accomplish that, then I would feel like my life is meaningful. I would feel happy. I'd feel satisfied. You put something out there as the direct end to provide the things that you are searching for professionally and in accomplishments. And the dirty little secret about envy is that it never ends, right? And if you have accomplished things in your life, you know this, right? You, you've, had, you've set goals and you have things that you want to, to reach and things you want to achieve, especially in regards to your profession. And anyone here that has achieved that, like maybe you thought to yourself, I want to graduate college or I want to get my master's. I want to get my PhD. I want to reach this job promotion. I want to begin to make this much money. I want whatever it may be. Think about the different goals that you've achieved. Are you now fully satisfied? No, because here's what happens. You accomplish something that you believe is going to provide you meaning and purpose and satisfaction and happiness, and the next morning you wake up and there's something else to envy. There's something else that you're going to put out there and chase after because it never ends. It just keeps on going. See, the reality is is that you can envision and create and believe in your own universe and then begin to see things form around you, and you can accomplish certain things, but there's always something else to envision and create and believe in. And you're constantly doing it. I'm constantly doing it all the time. And I think the reason this is, is because we are lured into believing that fill in the blank will provide everything our heart desires, especially in our regards to work because we live in a work-obsessed culture where it's everything. It's where we spend most of our time. It's what we think about most of the time is our work and what we can accomplish. There's a, a 19th century philosopher, John Stuart Mill, who said this, I place my happiness in something durable and distant in which some progress might always be making. While it could never be exhausted by complete attainment, this did very well for several years. But the time came when I woke as from a dream. John Stuart Mill is saying that, you know, I put something out there to chase after. 
And I knew that I'd always be chasing it, that I'd never actually fully accomplish it. But I thought that the chase towards this thing, the chase towards this certain accomplishment would provide me a life of meaning and purpose and satisfaction. And it did well for a little bit, but I eventually woke up as if I was living a dream. And he did, actually. He woke up and he had a mental breakdown and he struggled with depression for a large part of his life. And he, he wrote about and spoke about how he really struggled with believing that he'd ever find happiness. And would he ever accomplish the things that his heart desires. And, and later he wrote this. I now thought that this end was only to be attained by not making it the direct end. Speaking about meaning and happiness and, and satisfaction. That if you make it the direct end. If you, if you believe that when you accomplish this then you'll achieve and feel everything that you desire to feel. You're never going to get there if you make it the direct end. And this is the problem with chasing after accomplishment, right? As the teacher is saying here, it's going to be left to other people. You can't take it with you. They'll take it for granted. They'll disown it. They'll forget it. They'll destroy it. Or they won't see the value in it. And oftentimes what's motivating you is envy, and envy never ends. You're always chasing something new. Even when you accomplish one thing, there's something else to accomplish right after it. This is the delusion of chasing accomplishment for happiness, for meaning, for satisfaction. There's a, another study that came out in 2011. I thought this was very interesting. The study took a group of people and had one group of people that read an article on happiness. They read an article on happiness, and then they immediately went and watched a happy movie. And what they found was that the people that read the article and watched the happy movie felt worse than the people that just went and watched the movie. Didn't read any article on happiness. And their assessment was, is that when you begin to make happiness the direct end or meaning the direct end or satisfaction the direct end, because they read an article, now they're going into a movie that they know is going to be happy, they expected to feel a certain way. And when they didn't, it made them feel worse than the people that just showed up and watched a movie. You see, we, we go through life, right? And I, this is, I'm speaking to myself. We elevate these accomplishments and we believe that once we find them, once we get them, once we achieve them, then we're going to feel better. We're going to feel like it was all worth it. We're going to justify the means because we finally reached the end. And instead, when we get there, when we accomplish certain things, when we fulfill our goals and dreams, what happens? It doesn't provide that feeling that we thought. Maybe for a moment, because it is a vapor, we're excited, we feel good for a day, a week, maybe a year if you're lucky, but then there's something else to chase after. And I think the problem that we run into, the treadmill that we're on in life, is that instead of taking a moment and reflecting on our possibly faulty presuppositions about what is going to provide meaning and satisfaction in life, we just keep putting something else out there to chase after. All right, this didn't do it? Well, certainly this will. You, achieve, you accomplish that. Well, this, you know, did, didn't do it. So certainly this will. And we just keep running. We just keep running. And the teacher here in Ecclesiastes decided to reflect and said, and here's what he says. He says, so I gave up in despair. <laughs> That's exciting. Questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. So I love this about this book is that the teacher who's narrating this 
is willing to be honest with himself and with us. He's willing to doubt and to be like, listen, like when I began to reflect, it caused despair. And I'm like, is there really value in hard work? Is chasing accomplishment really just chasing vapors? Temporary fleeting experiences that feel good for a moment, but then you got to chase after another one. And his assessment here is he feels like chasing accomplishment is a waste of your life and your effort. And right now you're thinking, this is really bad news. Like I think I thought earlier we talked about like being excited about leaving and going into our week. And now I'm like, do I go to work tomorrow? <laughs> you know, like what am I supposed to do from here? You know, Christianity, though, is always bad news before it's good news. It's always bad news before it's good news. And the teacher here, thankfully, is not only compelled by looking at the things of life and assessing whether the chasing of those things will provide what his heart desires, he's also compelled by faith. And as we know from our vantage point, when we read scripture and we, we begin to analyze life from the perspective of God's word, our vantage point is that the cross always comes before the resurrection, that suffering always comes before victory, struggle always comes before triumph. And the teacher here is struggling with work, is struggling with accomplishment and believing that it has meaning, believing that it is worth investing in. But because he is motivated not only by what he can see and accomplish and experience, he's also motivated by faith. And so as the very beginning of this passage, he's looking and he's assessing things from a horizontal perspective. His faith draws him to eventually look vertically. Not just look horizontal, but to look vertically. And when the teacher looks up, he has a different conclusion. And here's what he says. He says, so I decided that there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Sounds very different as he's looked up and begun to have a different perspective on the things of life that he can accomplish and experience and on his work. It sounds almost like carpe diem, right? Seize the day. It's sort of like that. The word here, enjoy, literally means look upon the good. And so he's saying that I've come to find now that you need to look upon the good in the basic and necessary and constant things of life, like food and drink. Like literally, he's saying, literally when you sit down for a meal, take a moment and look upon the good of what is before you, the blessing that God has given you, the food that you're partaking of. When you go to that coffee shop every morning on your way to work, look upon the good in that situation, that you have the opportunity to enjoy that coffee and that it tastes great, even if you put a whole bunch of sugar and cream in it, you know? It's okay. When it's been a long week and you sit down on Friday night and you open a nice bottle of wine, look upon the good that is before you in the basic and constant things of life. But don't only look upon the good there. You know, one of the things I was thinking about this week is that if you've been a part of the Christian tradition, if you are a believer, you've been around Christian circles, you know that there's something that happens before we eat. What happens before we eat? What do you do? Some of us pray. 
And this is a tradition that we do, and oftentimes what it can become is a ritual, right? Like, oh, it's time to eat. Like, let's pray. Like, God, thanks for the food. You know, bless the food. Amen. Like, let's just eat, you know? This is a moment, actually, to, to reflect and to look upon the good of what is before you. Like, God, thank you that I have a, a hot meal that is delicious. Thank you that this before me is good and you're taking care of me. It's like a moment to reflect. It's literally what he's talking about here, those basic and primary things of life that are constant. Notice the good there. And then he says also, find satisfaction in work. And here's where you're thinking to yourself, I don't have a job that I love. I'm not excited about tomorrow morning. And to satisfaction in my work, like all I find is stress and anxiety and pressure. And I love the fact that he says find because it's not always apparent. Find satisfaction in your work. And here's what it's going to take. And this is the struggle. It's going to take you looking at your current situation and finding satisfaction there instead of believing that some possible distant future situation is what's going to provide you meaning and happiness. Look at your current situation. There's this ancient Greek paradox called uh, Achilles and the tortoise, and it, and it goes like this. There's a tortoise that it has a conversation with Achilles, the Greek hero and, and warrior who was known to be swift and fast. And the tortoise says, I want to challenge you to a race. And Achilles is like, bro, you're a turtle, you know, <laughs> I'm Achilles. Like, okay, will you give me a 10 meter head start? He's like, I'll give you whatever head start you want. Like, I'm going to catch you. And he said, okay, so we don't even need a race because you're never going to catch me. You give me 10 meters. You think you can run 10 meters pretty quickly, right? Achilles is like, yeah, well, once you run 10 meters, how far do you think I'll have run? I don't know, maybe a meter. Okay, well, once you run one meter, how far do you think I'll have run? And then, one, and then once you, and then I'll just keep, and, and the point of this paradox is that Achilles is always chasing. He's always chasing. And the tortoise is just taking one step at a time. And because the tortoise had a head start and is just moving one step at a time, he'll never be caught. And this is what the teacher is saying here, is that we become so trapped by our work and we're just chasing something. And the problem is, is once we get to the destination, it's then a little bit farther ahead. And then it's a little bit farther ahead. And we never quite get there. He's saying, stop looking ahead. Instead, look at your current situation. Look upon the good and the basic and necessary things of life. Find satisfaction in your work. And this is so hard to do because we look ahead in everything. We look ahead to the series premiere of our favorite show. We look ahead to the Amazon boxes that are going to arrive. We look ahead to our job promotion. We look ahead to what we're going to eat for dinner after church. We look ahead to everything, right? Everything we look ahead. And yet we're commanded here to now actually look upon the good before us in your current work situation, in the things and the blessings that are around you. And you're like, well, is, it, is that all he's saying? He's just saying, just look upon the good in the current and primary things of life and look, find satisfaction in, in your current work situation. Well, yes and no. He is saying that. But he's also going to tell you, don't only look upon the good, but look up to the good. 
Listen to what he says. He says, then I realize that these pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? These things that I'm looking upon, these basic and primary things of life, the satisfaction that I'm finding in my work, my current situation, all of the vapors that I'm enjoying in life that are temporary and fleeting, these are all from God. So I shouldn't fall captive to believing that any of these things can provide me the thing that my heart is searching for, that can provide me meaning and purpose and satisfaction and happiness that is lasting. They'll all be temporary because they've been given to me from God. I can only find that when I not only look upon the good, but when I look up to the good. And the ancient Greeks believed that happiness was uh, almost a miracle because it was hard to find. And so in, in Greek tragedies, what they would do is they had this thing that was called deus ex machina, it's God from the machine. And they would lower this divine character from the rafters down onto the stage in the plays. And it was this symbol that happiness and meaning and good comes from above. That it's a miracle that comes down and is given. And this idea is what we call Emmanuel, God with us. This is what we believe, that God has come down. He has been lowered. That happiness and satisfaction and the good has been lowered down to us in the person of Jesus Christ. A miracle has been given that we have access to God now through Jesus Christ, the divine character, the divine man who has been lowered to us and is, is available by faith. The teacher says in verse 26, in closing, God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to those who please him. You know, if, if Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, has been lowered to us and is a miracle that's been given and we have access to God by looking up, looking upon Jesus Christ, not looking up as in like Jesus was a great person, but looking to Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us, our Savior, then this question is so important that you're caused to ask when you read verse 26, that God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy, the very things that we're looking for and chasing accomplishments, he gives them to those who please him. So the question that you naturally ask yourself is, okay, well, what do I have to do to please God? Nothing. Nothing. All you have to do is look up. All you have to do is look to Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2. I want to encourage you to memorize this verse if you haven't. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's how we live our life. Here's how we run the race of life. Will you read it aloud with me? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So you don't run the race of life by looking ahead at what you can accomplish and what you can achieve and believing that once you find that thing and once you achieve and accomplish that thing, then you will be satisfied. Then your life will be meaningful. But you also don't only live your life by looking upon the good. That is a healthy discipline. That is a good thing to partake of, to, to notice the good in the primary things and to find satisfaction in your current work situation. The way you run the race of life is that you look up. And you look to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of your faith. You are not the founder and perfecter of your faith, Jesus is. 
It's a faith that has been given to you, that has come down. It is a miracle. And when you look up to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of your faith, who has united you with God because he has taken upon himself the debt of sin that you owe, and he has opened up a pathway for you to connect with God, who is the author of meaning and satisfaction and happiness and purpose and everything you want in life. When you look to him, you find what you're chasing after. You know, I think one of the things that's important to say is that your current situation may not always be pleasurable, right? You may be thinking right now, it's going to be really hard for me to look at my current work situation and find pleasure and to find satisfaction because it's hard. You're struggling with the things that are around you and you're going to have a hard time even enjoying and looking upon the good in the meals that you have. But that's why it's so beautiful and such a great reminder to us that as we run this race of life, we don't only look upon the good, but we look up to the good. Because that is constant. And he is always with you. And he is always available. And God is pleased with you when you look to Jesus. You don't have to work for God's pleasure. You don't have to earn it. You don't don't deserve it. You just look up to Jesus. Colossians One reminds us, for God in all his fullness, as we said in the call to worship, was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything in himself, to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. You see, Jesus, who is God, became man was lowered to you and to me, a miracle has been given. And by faith, you can recognize and see the good that Christ has accomplished on your behalf, that he has made peace between you and God. And so you can come to realize even tonight that chasing accomplishment is not going to provide you what you're looking for in life. Your work is not going to provide you what you're looking for in life. What we're looking for and where we find the very thing that is driving us is at the foot of the cross, where Christ has accomplished what we could never accomplish and has connected us to the author of all things good, who is God himself. And here's where we find what we're truly chasing after, at the foot of the cross. Will you pray with me? Lord, we pray tonight as we come to the table in a moment and as we close and sing, Lord, to you, that we would be reminded that we don't have anything to offer. We can't work for your love and for your pleasure, but you've given it to us. You have come down for us. You have birthed a miracle in us by giving us faith and eyes to see you? Would you humble our hearts and would you remind us tonight, God, that our work is not going to provide what we think it will, our accomplishments are not going to provide what we believe they will, that we can envision and create and believe in our own universe all we want, but it is not going to fulfill us. Instead, Would you give us grace 
to look upon the good in our current situation, to find satisfaction even in our current position, in our current work environment. But would you most of all, God, not allow us to take our eyes off of you as we run this race with endurance, knowing that you are the founder and perfecter of our faith, and that as we chase after you, Jesus, regardless of our circumstances, we can find the very thing our heart desires. That is a meaningful life. That is a life of purpose, looking up to you and chasing after you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.